Christmas week here at the British and Irish Eagles, and we are back for another podcast, another losing podcast. As we, the Eagles, go ten and four with back-to-back losses against the Cowboys, the 49ers and the Seahawks. Not in that order, um, but three losses in a row. The wheels on the bus are falling off. There are players complaining, coaches being sacked and demoted. The fans are in uproar. No one's climbing those poles right now. It's a bit, it's desolate. It's depressing. It's it's a bad, sorry state of affairs in Eagles right now. However, they are still 10 and 4, but it doesn't feel like a 10 and 4 team at the moment. It certainly does not. I am joined by my beautiful, the bearded friend and co-host, Mick McGiven. Mick how the devil are you, sir? Yeah, not great. Um, I'll be honest, Liam. <laughs> after what the Eagles have served up to us over the last couple of couple of weeks, it's it's just not been great watching. Especially when you're up to you know four, half four in the morning, and you lose a game in that fashion. Um, you know, right in the fourth quarter, right at the death. Eagles never really got going in the game, and uh, it's it's just a, a sorry state of affairs. I'm afraid, and you know, you sit up all night, and you know the 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 dawn starting to break outside, and you're just sitting there raging and rattling, and you, you know you need to go to sleep because you've got work the next day, or know. you know you get things to do. The kids are up soon, sort of thing, and you're just you can't get over because of you know how the team has made you feel over the last few hours or the last few weeks. It feels because um, I've got a lot to get off my chest on this podcast. I feel. And to be honest, Mick, I do too. Uh, there's a lot to talk about. I will try and bring us back around to some degree of positivity towards the end of the podcast, but I'm certainly not going to attempt it now. I think you might leave me on my own to do the podcast if I try and do that now. So I certainly won't <laughs> certainly won't do it. Now, I myself I don't think I managed to get to sleep until about a quarter past, 20 past five, um, maybe even later on Monday night, because likewise, I could not settle myself i was fuming i was angry and the adrenaline from watching a game you know even if you win it's hard to get to bed after a late game like that because you you're tired during the day you're tired in the evening and then you, you persevere and you pull through and um you're chatting away and <clears throat> it started so well the first drive was perfect you know we we went down the, we drove down the field we got a touchdown then we, we stopped them on three and out Saw some some positive changes from Matt Patricia, and then uh, since then it was just uh, calamity after calamity, um, which culminated in a last minute loss, um, a last minute horrendous play by James Bradbury, horrendous play calling you could probably say as well, given why you're leaving him lined one on one with a speedster when he's 31, 32, going on 44. He seems to have aged about 15 years since last season, Bradbury. And then poor play calling and poor execution on offense in the next play, uh, which we'll get to in a minute. But it certainly was a depressing end to the night. It's been a few days for us to digest it, think about it, 
cry a little bit <laughs> as well. <laughs> and uh, and now we're ready to do we're ready to do the next podcast. And um, so, what can you expect from us today? We've got some news which has been coming out this week. Not a lot of news because the injury report hasn't been released yet, but there has been some news which we're going to go through first. And then we're going to go we're going to go into the good, the bad, and the absolute fucking shite which is the new name for this week's segment. Uh, there will not be a damn right sexy this week. There will not be a Lock Loman play of the week. Um, I can maybe think of one, um, but that's about it. There's a lot to get through, and it needs to be done. We we can't be a podcast where we sit here and loud the performance and and the greatness that we've seen throughout all of last year and, and all of this year up until the last three games. It's our responsibility as as, you know, hosts of the, the largest podcast outside of Philadelphia for the Eagles to hold them to account. And on the hold them to account, we will, because there's a lot of blame going around, a lot of pointy fingers going around. And I'm interested, Mick, to see where you think that blame lies. So we'll, we'll certainly get into some of those questions and, and conversations. And then we will do a preview of the Giants week. And uh, if you haven't looked up what the odds are for a Boston Scott touchdown, what the hell are you doing? Go and check it out now because you know that's certainly going to happen. It's the only reason we sign him every year. So we're going to look at the the Giants team, look at who's injured at the moment, how they've been playing, how they've been trending, and how the Eagles stack up against those uh, those position groups. On Christmas evening, 9.30 UK time, what a delight to watch the Eagles on Christmas Day. Please, God, don't fucking ruin it for all of us, bird gang. All right, without any further ado, let's get into some news. We need like a little news reel, like or something like that before we go into the news section. I keep saying you may, I'll make one and then I, I never do. I keep forgetting. That's on me. I'll take that one. I'll take that. <laughs> Got some time over the Christmas period when, you're, when your weens are playing games and throwing stuff all over you to, to work that one out, maybe. Um, good stuff. So um, going to, go to some news. We've had press conferences this week, and I have to say, if I was Nick Sirianni, I would be hiding behind a couch rather than wanting to go to a press conference this week. Obviously, fresh off the news that Sean Desai has been stripped of play calling uh, duties that happened between the last podcast and this podcast. And that now sits firmly with Matt Patricia. Weirdly, he is still being given the title of DC. And it is it has been quoted as Nick Sirianna saying that it is Sean Desai's defense. However, Matt Patricia will is the play caller. And um, Nick Sirianni came to say, I did what I thought I needed to do in the best interest of the football team. We made some adjustments there, and I thought we weren't playing well enough on defense. So I made an adjustment, and it was my decision, so that's what I did. Asked him whether he has the final say on defensive matter, Sirianni answered succinctly, Coach Patricia. So that is Sean Desai out. For the rest of the season now as the Eagles defensive coordinator, he will not be the defensive coordinator next season. There is no world in which I can see that happening. So not even one and done for Sean Desai as defensive coordinator for the Eagles. And <clears throat> Nick was also quoted as saying that this defense has been set up schematically, that we will see some changes from Coach Patricia, but there won't be lots. In fact, I think it was P Patricia who came out to say that. So you're not going to see wholesale changes we're not going to suddenly see a whole ream of blitzing, um, but we are going to see some subtle changes. That may not be what Eagles fans want to hear, but it's a change nonetheless. And it certainly looked like it was working in the first few drives on Monday night. So perhaps more of that, more film, more study, and we can get to a bit more of that for the, for the entirety of, of the game 
thoughts, Mick, on Matt Patricia's first game as pseudo-defensive coordinator? Yeah, I mean, there, there's not an awful lot you can implement in the time that was given, or, I mean, as far as we know, the time that was given, because the, the news pretty much broke on Saturday afternoon, um, ahead of the game on Sunday. Uh, sorry, Monday. I keep forgetting the game is flexed out to Monday Night Football. Um, <laughs> and it, it, there were just... It was weird. There were just so many mixed messages. The way it was being reported from NFL media and you know such like, and it just it didn't seem, you know, the way the Eagles do business normally, um, which you know throws up several red flags straight away. But with all that aside, um, we look at you know what what we've done and what we've got. Essentially, something had to change because, as we know, Sean Desai had been really struggling whether that was down to the personnel or you know play design and you know in-game there was rumors about his gravitas as well towards the players and how maybe he wasn't garnering the respect he should from the players yeah the, well there were some some players were coming out and making some noise weren't they and, and then they sort of backtracked on that as well there, there's, just a, there's been a wee bit too much noise from the locker room lately and um, which is a sort of another concern but you know, like I said, something had to change. So I don't hate the move because, um, you know, the, the definition of madness is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So try something else, try something new. We've got a guy in the building who very familiar with calling defences. He's, he's a multi-Super Bowl winning defensive coach um, and losing as well, Super Bowl against the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so you know why not um, see if he can he can right the ship and, and maybe turn this defense into something better than what is shown so far this season. I do feel sorry for Sean Desai because you know the the hand he's been dealt hasn't been the best. We've lost a lot of guys on defense. Um, you know just from all the guys that we had last year, especially our linebacking core, losing T.J. Edwards um, yeah. didn't really seem like a massive deal at the time but looking back it was it is um cj gardner johnson when he was fit and healthy cg gardner we lost um hargrave on the line we lost guys all over the place and we replaced them with old men essentially our our defense is aging and it's aging badly bradbury is 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 on the decline slays slay's been slay to be fair um, Slay's been then, pretty good. His staff showing, and then he's got a bunch good. of rookies. He's got an undrafted free agent. He's got a, a third round rookie, and he's got um, a second round rookie mm-hmm. working the defensive backs, as well as Reed Blankenship, who's another UDFA only a year prior. So the guys are. I mean, he doesn't have a lot of talent in the room compared to you know how it looked last year. So I do feel for this eye on that front, but at the same time, it has to do better. We can't be the 32nd um, uh, ranked defence and third down in the league. We just can't. It's unacceptable. We can't be in the 30s of red zone defence either. It's unacceptable. Something has to change, and that change is, is in the form of you know, what we can do, what we can do in the building, and that's Matt Patricia. So I am overall, I'm fine with the move. Um, I've seen a little bit that, that he managed to implement against the Seahawks. And, you know, he's, he's putting players in different positions, which we'll, we'll mm-hmm. probably come on to talk about. Um, some of the younger guys made plays. Um, the personnel are still the personnel. Unfortunately, he has to try and get the best out of these guys. Um, 
we'll see what we can do. But uh, <laughs> that uh, that last Seahawks drive um, didn't oh, still too God. much positivity, to be honest. <laughs> so <laughs> I wanted to see a reaction there from Patricia. You see what he was at, absolutely made of, but uh, it didn't come to light, unfortunately. No, it did not. All right, moving on. Um, Slay is undergoing is undergoing knee surgery. Uh, ironic on the week that Patricia takes over play calling duties, given their history. Um, and I think Slay came out to say he wouldn't play on a team that Patricia was a coach on preseason. Like backtracked on that statement, but ironic that now he's he's in. Um, now he's in. He's not available until the postseason. It looks like so. It's a big loss for the Eagles uh, at a time when they can probably afford it most, which is against the the, the Washington, um, <clears throat> the Washington Commanders and the the Giants. Uh, can probably afford to not have Slay there more than some of the other games we've had. But then we have lost three of the last games. <laughs> so um, Gi- Giants in Arizona. Sorry. Sorry, Giants in Arizona. My bad. Not not Washington Commanders. Uh, <clears throat> but again, pro- we we can probably afford to have Slay if you can at any point away from those games than others. So we're interested to see how quickly he comes back. If the Eagles need to win the last game of the season, perhaps they will push him forward. If not, let him rest up and be fit and healthy for the playoffs to make a difference for us. Avante Maddox, interestingly, all these things seem to happen concurrently at the same time. The practice window is expected to open this week for Maddox. I don't think we're going to see him suiting up on Christmas Day, but perhaps we, we may see him suit up on one of the regular season games between now and the end of the year, which will be great to see him back because that's a piece the Eagles have been missing all year. When Maddox is fit, he's one of the best slot cornerbacks in the league. Um, and um, certainly has the potential to be if he's he's not round enough to show that he is. Um, bit like a bit like a few of the Eagles players who seem to get injured every year. You think of Dallas Goddard, you think of Jalen Hurts, you think of Avante Maddox. They just seem to pick up niggles that keep them out of games. Uh, even multiple games or, or, or longer. <clears throat> so that's one to keep an, out, an eye out on for the secondary. I'm not going to talk about Eli Rex, Keeler Ringo yet, because when we talk about Bradbury later on, I have a couple of questions for you about what the Eagles need to do moving forward. So I'll move on from the secondary for now. <clears throat> I want to talk about the guard position for the Eagles because Landon Dickerson has undergone thumb surgery. He's expected to miss minimal time. I, again, he's not going to be around for this game against the Giants. I'd be very surprised if you have surgery and then can perform three or four days later, uh, even with a even with a glove on or, or whatever. So you're likely to see no Landon Dickerson. He got injured this Sunday, just gone by. You're likely not to see him against the Giants. And Cam Jurgens, who obviously missed the game against the Seahawks, is also questionable. We saw Sua Apeta take the right guard snaps in his absence. So if there's no Landon Dickerson and there's no Cam Jurgens, you are very likely to see Sua Apeta line up at right guard and Tyler Steen line up at left guard, both of which severely hampers the Eagles' offensive line, which hasn't been at its best this year compared to previous years. So something to watch out for there. It would be good if we can see Jurgens back, and then it would be interesting to see if Jurgens is back. Do they play Sua Apeta or Tyler Steen at left guard? Because Tyler Steen has operated at left guard on occasion. Um, whereas Sue normally fits in at right guard. So would keep an eye out on them. <clears throat> um, Brian Johnson will continue to take the offense, to continue in his role as OC, and will also continue in his role um, being a play caller. No surprise that Sirianni's not going to take it off his hand, given how woeful he was 
when he had that responsibility um, in 2021. And he said the off, he, he, he critically, Sirianni said the offense was run very similarly for the last two years and this year. So any, any blame that goes on Brian Johnson is unfair and that they should lay that blame at his door. Okay, I'll do that. Fuck's going on, Sirianni? What is going on? If the blame is at your door, what is going on? This team has one of the best offensive lines in all of football, if not the best. They have two of the best one-two. They've one of the best one-two wide receivers in all of football. They've got a top five tight end. You have a, a, a team of running backs who are capable of making big chunk plays. Swift, as we've seen, when they commit to the run, can have monster games. There is no excuse whatsoever for the Eagles not to be throwing, not to be not to be putting 30 points up on a team every week. Jalen Hurts, MVP elect last year, had the game of his life in the Super Bowl, was let was was let down by by you know a couple of plays and 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 the zebras. He was MVP elect only three, four weeks ago. There is no excuse whatsoever for Nick Sirianni and Brian Johnson whatsoever for the Eagles to be where they are right now. Even if they are giving away points on defense. The Seahawks only scored 20 points. You're telling me this team isn't good enough to put more than 17 points up against the Seahawks. It's absolutely ridiculous, Mick. Nick Sirianni has a very, very testing few days now. I don't see a scenario where Nick Sirianni is not the head coach of the Eagles next year. I think that's too far-fetched. He's taken us to two playoffs back. He's taken us to three playoffs back-to-back, including this season, which we have, by the way, clinched the playoffs, which happened among all of the noise and the loss this weekend. He's certainly not going to be removed. But does it show a glaring gap, maybe, or hole in his arsenal as as, as an offensive mind and does it show that Shane Steichen was a huge part of why the Eagles were so successful last year you look at what he's managed to do with the Colts and Gardner Minshew at the moment um crazy good are you concerned Mick about Nick Sirianni and follow-up question because this is the first this is the by the way the first of our bad part of the podcast it might as well flow into that are you pointing are you pointing the blame squarely at Nick Sirianni as he wants you to or do you think it's Brian Johnson's ability to choose what plays from his offense and the responsibility should rest with him? Yeah, I don't think it should just rest with Sirianni, although I think Sirianni does own a lot of the blame because whilst we're seeing the play calls, I've been set, the one's been served up are absolute dog shit. There's, there's just doesn't seem to be any plan. We're not putting players in the best positions to succeed. Like you said, we've got some of the best wide receivers' weapons at our disposal. We've got the best offensive line. We've got this. We've got that. We've got everything. And this is what they're serving up. Three games in a row, we can't score over 20 points. Three games in a row. I know like Dallas have a, have a good um, defence and so do the 49ers. Yeah, okay. But it's still no excuse. Not against the Seahawks. It's not not when they don't have the number one cornerback even playing in the game or the number one defensive tackle fucking playing in the game. Um, what is going on with this offense? Like people, like they were down to their third and fourth string cornerbacks. Yeah, yeah, third and fifth, I think actually. Yeah, 
And um, like TV analysts are, are looking at this and they're like, I, I can't understand this offense, and they can't understand the defense either. But they're looking at it and they're like, what are they actually trying to achieve here? What are they trying to do? They, they seem to be making it up um, every week. And you know, but Seriani will take the responsibility for you know the scheme, the, the plays that they choose to be in the package for this particular game week. Um, and then it's Brian, it's up to Brian Johnson to to pick the individual plays and the game time scenarios. Um, and they've both been just doing a horrible, horrible job because even we as fans can see it. You know, like even the the the, the footage that you saw of the Manning cast and. Um, C-Mac. TM, CMC called the play before it happened because we're so fucking predictable. It's mm. you know it's 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 either going to be a quarterback draw, it's going to be yeah. It's either going to be a quarterback draw or a bubble screen or a fucking goal ball, and that's it. That's all we've got. We've got we you know we started <laughs> off so well against the Seahawks because we're throwing balls over the middle. Dallas yeah. Goddard was yeah. getting involved, yeah. and then we just yeah. fucking abandoned it. We started yeah. running, running the ball well, Swift. Probably got could have got some more yards than he actually did. I think he missed a couple of um, big holes in the offense. The offensive line was cooking. It was all going well. What do you do? They throw up a fucking go ball out of nowhere in the drive ends. And it happened multiple times on Monday night. What are they doing? Why are they doing this? It just makes no sense. It's, everybody can see it apart from them. And they're digging their fucking heels in. And it's just three games in a row we've lost because of it as well. It's just not good enough. And I just... It, it's just turned the whole season on its head. Like, we were flying so high, undefeated. We are last team to be defeated um, through the NFL. We're on this podcast every week saying, oh, we're running out of good things to say about this team. And it's I've done a total 180 on that because I can't see as I can't, I think we're one and done in the playoffs because of just how poorly um, the, the team is coached at the moment. And that's yeah. on that's on Nick Sirianni. That is definitely on Nick Sirianni. It has to be on Nick Sirianni, and like one, one, one bad game, two bad games, maybe where, you know, some stuff can happen. You can make arguments. The Dallas, the the Forty Nineers game, Dallas game, at certain points could have went the other way. <clears throat> uh, earlier, earlier, early in the games, not not obviously, not obviously towards the end of the, the Dallas game <laughs> for sure. We got absolutely spanked. Um, <clears throat> But you can you can maybe say okay you know some things just don't go your way and you know Kelsey came out and said that during the week things just aren't going away at the moment teams go through this teams go through bad patches this doesn't feel like a bad patch where like things are just going wrong for the Eagles like it's just not happening it's bad execution and it's bad situational awareness and the situational awareness for me is the biggest thing you talked about those go balls did you see the fucking weather they were playing in against the Seahawks. Hertz is dealing with a knee injury, he's ill, and there's a fucking hurricane outside, and you think it's a good idea to throw bombs into double, triple coverage in the hope that AJ Brown comes down and takes it, in the hope that for the first time in six attempted um, deep balls to Quez Watkins, he's not going to drop it, fumble it, or get done on, a, on an OPI. I, the play calling is mind-boggling. And that play to end the game where Hurts threw the deep ball to A.J. Brown, this is what makes me more worried about this team more than anything, right? <clears throat> two, two things. One, A.J. Brown can, but there's a number of things, actually. I'm just going to fucking list them all, right? number of things piss me off about this play, and this play makes me worry more than any other play I've seen from the Eagles in the last two, three years. 
one, why are they trying to force it to AJ Brown? It makes no sense. He's double, triple coverage. Why are you trying to force the ball to AJ Brown? Why are you trying to throw it deep when you don't need to go deep? Because of that, he goes to one read and doesn't check out. Is it Gainwell, I think, who's ready for a check down and he has 25 yards of space in front of him, enough to take the first down. Then you get your clutch field goal kicker who's won multiple games this year for us and you let him kick the field goal. Or you continue to just drive the ball down the field, which you're doing with ease anyway as a team. But what worries me the most is the press conference where Nick Sirianni came out and said, that's on us. We thought there was a chance for a DPI. What? Sorry? Honestly, I read that and I was just, I couldn't believe he said that. I I still can't believe he said that. I mean, that is the most, that might be the most ridiculous thing Nick Sirianni has ever said. I I don't think it's true. I don't think it's true. If it's true, I'm like, I'm really worried. I, I think he's just trying to take the blame off Hertz or take and take the blame off AJ and put it on himself. And he's making up that shit about he thought there was a DPI going to take away the fact that he missed a clear read to his left to check down the ball to I think it was game well. <clears throat> I, I I I can't believe it. If it's true, if it's true, <laughs> I'm fucking sack him for that alone. I mean, are you kidding me? Like throwing the ball down deep into triple coverage when the game is on the line for a DPI? They, if that's what they're doing, they haven't got an absolute they haven't got a clue. They have not got a clue at all. And they've and they and last year in this season they've got through games because of the talent they have on the team and it's nothing to do with the play calling or the coaching. I know that's probably a bit harsh and a bit too far. It probably is, probably not accurate. But if that's the if that's a normal thought process that goes through this team. They're massively overcomplicating over things. They massively over overcomplicating things. <clears throat> the bubble screens. I, I don't. Any team that does a bubble screen, it just looks. It looks like it works. It's confusing. You you send a player in motion. You the quarterback waits a second when he has the ball before he chucks it to the left or the right, so it doesn't look like he's going to do it. Jalen Hurts gets the ball and he's already turning to throw it as he's receiving it. And then seems to like lob the ball in the air across to the receivers, as opposed to get it to them fast and sharp yeah, with any velocity. Right. It yeah. doesn't look right. He's, it's like he's trying not. It's like he's. It's like he's not comfortable on those shorter passes, accuracy-wise, and he tries to lob it to. So that takes too long to get there. By which time the the linebackers have already read um, Jalen Hurts. So they go off their run. They go off Hurts, and they go off the running back, and they pull across with the cornerbacks and the safeties. The safeties are coming up from their position because they know the ball is not being thrown deep. And all of a sudden, you've got three, four players on an A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith uh, bubble screen, and the play just gets broken up, and they ran into each other on one occasion. Uh, it, it, it looks terrible. It looks so obvious. Now, I'm, I can tell this is coming when I'm watching on TV. Imagine what a successful team and coach like, like um, the Seahawks have been for years under, under Carroll. You know they're they're gonna they're gonna pick it up and they and it was picked up multiple times, multiple yeah, there's times. There's gonna be a pick six off of it. No, this is it's coming. One I, one of these times it's going to be a pick six. It's too it's it, it's horrendous. So let let's amalgamate these together, right? We're not putting the best players in in their best positions. There's there's far too many um, snaps to Quez Watkins, who's a bust. Just get rid of him. I don't even want to see him on the field again. He's done. Quez Dropkins, I think you coined the, the phrase, Mick, <laughs> right? Quez Dropkins is his new name. 
Why is Zacchaeus only getting five snaps and Julio's getting 22 and Watkins is getting 36? Zacchaeus has been good when he's played for us before Julio came in and while Watkins was injured. He's reliable. He I reminds me. I believe that when I saw that. When reminds I me of Greg that, Ward. That, Fuck it. me. Get Greg Ward in as wide receiver three. <laughs> bring Greg Ward back into the team. I'd have him over the others. Fucking bring Greg Ward in to throw the fucking bubble screen passes. It might, it might be more accurate and more velocity on them. Um, he's got two touchdowns on 144 yards on eight catches. I know. That's Ozzy, 144 yards, two touchdowns, eight catches. Watkins has got seven catches, 49 yards, no touchdowns, nothing. Yeah. He's useless. He's Get useless. him fuck out this team. Completely agree. <sighs> and Sirianni continued to back him in the press conference. I mean, fuck off. I don't get it. There's a lot of swearing on this podcast. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Nick Sirianni, Brian Johnson need to show something different. I mentioned it last week. We're not seeing enough emotion plays. It looks too static. It looks too obvious. It still does. They committed to the run. It looked well. You mentioned it. They committed to throwing the ball over the, mi- the middle. It was going well. Give Dallas Goddard the ball more. Stop throwing deep balls to A.J. Brown and start throwing it over the middle to Dallas Goddard seven to ten times a game. I'll take that. Run the ball 25, 20 to 25 times a game. Yeah, right? You can get E.J. Brown back on the slants. It's, it's, get, it's, get him on the slant. That worked well at the start of the game. It's not happening anymore. It's, I, I know. Honestly, I don't know. It's, it's pathetic, Mick. It's pathetic. And if the Eagles don't figure out their offensive play calling, whatever we want to say about how bad the defense is, if they don't figure out how to score more than 20 points over the next three games and get them into some sort of running form, I'm with you. We're one and done in the playoffs. I don't. I can't see us beating a team at the moment. It's it's a very, very poor runner form. And it might sound like hyperbole and over-exaggeration, but it's, it's really not. They are bad right now. They are really, really bad. And they are far, far too good talent wise and personnel well to be this bad. So it has to sit with it has to sit with Nick Sirianni for me. It has to. Right. Jalen Hurts. Let's continue the bad part of our podcast. Mick. <laughs> yeah. Poor old Jalen. Um, he's not escaping from <laughs> he's not escaping from the wrath of the British and Irish Eagles this week. Um he's usually our boy. We we love Jalen Hurts but um, I know he was dealing with the illness and that couldn't have helped. He was 17 for 31, 143 yards, had 82 yards on the ground. He actually looked okay on the ground. He was good on the ground. He looked faster um, as well, I thought. Yeah, two Tushbush uh, or brotherly shove touchdowns. Um, and then two very, very, very ugly interceptions. Uh-huh. Um, he was underthrowing the ball. He was overthrowing the ball. He was he, his, um, his accuracy was really bad. And his reading. And his reading. So he's not getting through his progressions. He's he's, he's regressed this season. <laughs> and this isn't just the Seattle game either. That he's no, I know. been symptomatic for uh, most of the season. These so are the far. issues that they said Jalen Hurts had coming out of the draft. And what and what we saw in his first year for the Eagles. Um, for those for those first few games and the first few games of the next season. These are the issues that we saw. He massively improved last year. Hugely improved was one of the best players, if not the best player in the NFL last year at any position. I have to agree. He he has regressed, and um, and he he's stubborn. He's very very stubborn, and I think that's a that's a trait that I'm seeing quite a bit. You from the coaching staff, Sirianni, Jalen Hurts. <sighs> I love the fact he's calm in press conferences. I love the fact he doesn't give away. I love the fact he doesn't go high too high or too low. I want to see a bit more grit 
here from Jalen Hurts. I want to see a bit more. I want to see him take some responsibility here. I know he said it's on him in the, in, in, in the press conference, but you can never tell because he just has the same tone of voice. He did have going. a little bit of a, sorry, he did have a little bit of a quip. At, I think it was Zach Berman when he asked him because uh, Hurts questioned the commitment of the team. Mm. And Zach said, I think it was like, what do you mean a commitment? And he said, well, I don't have a dictionary in front of me. Yeah. And, and, then, uh, and then he apologised for saying that. He did that. apologise straight away, because that's just the kind of person he is. He's just so he, uncharacteristic he, 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 of like, He was like, like excuse me, excuse me. And that was his way of saying, you know, sorry. Um, <laughs> I wish you could see what I can see. There is um, a piece of paper flying around the garden and my cat because it's windy as hell out right now. And my cat is just running around, jumping in the air, trying to ca- trying to catch the piece of paper. Sounds um, entertaining than the fucking he goes off at the moment. <laughs> he looks like he's having a ball out there. <laughs> I want to go join him. Can you, can you fancy the rest of the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. I, 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 can, I can handle the rest. But um, no, it's Jalen... I, I feel like I want to see more from him as well, a bit more passion. Even yeah, that's what I mean, I think. Passion. Him, yeah. It's because you see it. See when he's doing like um his pregame breakdown, you can see he's got a bit of fire on him, and he's like rallying the guys around. And then as soon as like the kickoff goes, he just business, isn't he? Flatlines. He just turns into fucking Jalen <laughs> iRobot. Um, <laughs> it shows no emotion at all, but mm. he he still loves to turn the ball over because he's he's a fumbling interception giving machine now. Um, and it's a massive, massive problem. I think if he had fumbled in that game, I might have really, really lost it. <laughs> but um, just, the, yeah. just the two interceptions this time. Uh, it's funny because not, those not two interceptions well. become completions. You're talking about a a touchdown to Quez Watkins and a and a game winning completion to AJ Brown, and you 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 tack on an extra hundred and hundred and ten yards to his hundred and forty three, and all of a sudden you have two hundred and sixty yards to um, three, uh, two rushing touchdowns, a touchdown, and no interceptions. And we're talking about Jalen being, you know, having one of the games of the season and really putting the team on his back. But that's not that's, and, and this isn't me trying to sugarcoat it in any way, shape, or form because they happened, and it was a bad decision to throw the ball on both occasions. It was a bad play call scheme design, and he he what he didn't um, execute. He didn't execute, and and he missed he missed he missed some some open guys, and we we need to we need to man up and and we need to you know woman up we need to we need to we need to hold them accountable for that because we can't be going on and running around and telling everyone how good Jalen Hurts is and how he's MVP and everyone disrespected him and you know didn't know how good he was and sit on a high horse a little bit. He was bad. He was very bad. And if he plays like that for the next few games I mean, he's going to have to go and have another camp with Tom Brady, which is what he did before last year. <laughs> go and spend another few weeks with Tom Brady and get back to basics with uh, with your throwing technique, your arm, your arm mechanics, um, and it needs to be healthy as well. I mean, this is what three seasons in a row now he's been dealing with some some kind of leg problem. Yeah, there is a durability issue there. I think you, you mentioned in the group chat the other day, saying, you know, who, who's actually worried about Jalen Hurts. And for the most part, you know, 
people aren't worried about Jalen Hurts because they, they, they yeah. know what he's capable of. We've seen it. He took us to a Super Bowl. The ceiling is high. Yeah, your ceiling is massively high. It's that that durability is also is, is always been in the back of my head because um, mm. every season seems to pick up something. You know, last year it was in the Bears game where he got hurt and he was hurt towards the playoffs, and mm. yeah, we still went to the Super Bowl, but yeah. Uh, but but last year last year he, he dug himself game. out with his with his passing capabilities and his his accuracy he was one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league last year, so he was able to like overcome that, overcome those issues, um, when he can't run the ball. And I do think Jalen has the ability to be a pocket passer. He is a pocket passer, as well as using his legs. But he's not playing like that this year. And I do think there is some credence some credence to the whole. Hurts AJ Brown, him using AJ Brown as a blanket when he really needs something in a big play. Think um Kelsey to um sorry, Kelsey, think Mahomes to Kelsey, think Brady to Gronk. Um, you know, when you need a big play, you go to your big guy. That's true, but when you have those guys didn't really have loads of other playmakers around them. I mean, yeah, Julian Edelman for for Brady Shore and and Tyreek Hill for a certain for a certain period of time for for Mahomes, you know he has Goddard and he has Swift and he has Devontae Smith. He doesn't need to go to his big guy, his big playmaker on every you know pressure scenario. He doesn't need to do that, and he needs to be better at, re- at reading and he needs to be better better, better at seeing the situation. I will say that play by the by was it a cornerback or the safety to come around and intercept that ball was absolutely crazy good. <laughs> <laughs> he co- I think he covered like 40 yards in 2.2 seconds or something ridiculous like Love. that. Yeah, he was um, yeah. absolutely Ex-giant. rapid. He was the guy that um, Devontae Smith made, made a fool of. Um, mm. where he, he tried to cut across and, and, and uh, Devontae sort of just dodged him and ran into the end zone. Yeah. Not a damn alum as well. But yeah. Yep. All right, um, we're, 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 on a, we're, on a, we're on a time clock here because yes, I, I've, I've got to finish up um, in the next kind of 30 minutes and we still have a bit to get through. So I'm going to focus on um, more the negative because I think that's what we need to. Sorry, listeners. Um, so I'm going to move over and talk about the defense and going to talk. There's just one specific, couple of specific things I want to make a point on here, Mick, and then there's a specific question I want to I want to ask you. So rather than going into too much detail, because we've already touched on Desai and, and on Patricia. <clears throat> the defense uh, got cooked by Drew Luck in a two-minute drill towards the end, allowed a 10-play 92-yard drive for them to take the lead, leaving only 28 seconds on the clock, old, slow, and can-covered, Bayard, Leonard, Moreau, Bradbury, um, you name it. Moreau, Moreau's flashed at times. Uh, and that's not even talking about Slay, who is old as well, but he seems to have kept his pace. This defense, this secondary is is bad right now, and the young guns need to be given more of an opportunity to play in bigger moments. Uh, and I'm going to get to that question in a second. Talking specifically about getting to the quarterback, this team have four previous first-round picks on their defensive line, right? Four to five, I think it is. <clears throat> They are joint 20th in the in the NFL on sacks. That is not good enough. For a team that was breaking records last year, the only difference on that defensive line is no Hargrave, and they replaced Hargrave with Carter, and you were expecting uh, Jordan Davis to make more of a step up this year. I think Jordan Davis is underwhelmed this year, personally. Uh, I know he's good at stopping the run, and we'd be good at stopping the run, 
I feel like his ceiling is much higher than what we've seen so far. Jalen Carter, I think, has had a great rookie season. I don't think any of us can talk about it. Even Fletcher Cox had a few good sacks. Brandon Graham, aging. Cox, aging. Neither of those two players will be uh, on the Eagles next year. Both Cox and Graham surely will be gone. <clears throat> Sweat has not had the season we're accustomed to. Hassan Reddick has slowly gone about his business and has 11, 12 sacks. Um, but you you don't feel like Reddick's really stepped up in too many big moments to make those plays. It feels like they were towards the in the early part of the season, perhaps a few when when offensive lines are tired, he's come up with some kind of last five minutes. He's got one or two sacks. But um anyway, can't really can't really knock him for it. But what you can knock is being 20 different sacks with with a with an with a defensive line that has Sweat, Cox, Carter, Davis, Graham, Reddick, Williams. It's just not acceptable. And did you see Derek Barnett turned up for the sack at the weekend? Yeah. He's traded away as well for the Texans. And uh, that was just salt in the wound a little bit, um, considering we can't get to the quarterback. How how do they change this, Mick? How 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 do they change this? Is it too many four men fronts? Do we need to start seeing more five men fronts? Do we need to start seeing more blitzing? I know that's an obvious an obvious answer here. It felt like last year the defensive ends were getting pressure to the quarterback to push him up the middle, and the defensive tackles were swallowing up, and vice versa. The defensive tackles were getting pressure up the middle, pushing him to the outside for the defense ends to get to the quarterback. It just it was one or the other. It just seemed to happen like clockwork last year. I'm not seeing that this year. We're not seeing the same amount of pressure. No, and it, it was such a um, it was so glaringly obvious as well during the game that we just were not getting pressure on. Um, on Drew Locke. Drew, Drew Locke. Um, we've lost to um, we've lost to Zach Wilson and Drew Locke this year. Unbelievable. And uh, yeah, because because I um, I mean you were talking on the side during the game, mm-hmm. and I'm sure I said that at the time uh, I left you a message about the defensive line. And said it's it's all starts from the defensive line we've, we've built this team to win up front and mm-hmm. you know the coverage will come you know get to the quarterback get the pass rush going and it's just not happening it's, it's the, the guys i don't know whether it's a performance thing or if it's a play design i know what we are set up to stop the run we've been very good on one stop you know we're ranked seventh in the nfl that is commendable Give them that we're not getting killed by running backs this year. Um, maybe that's something that they really wanted to address from what happened at the Super Bowl. Pacheco just sort of ran all over us, and that was that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's come at the expense of completely losing the pass rush because uh, Hassan Reddick, you know, he, he goes hiding in a lot of games. I know he's got the numbers, but he does, he, he hides a, a lot of the time. and uh, Josh Sweat, I thought he had one. Either. I love Josh Sweat. After you get me a Josh Sweat jersey when you were over in, in Philadelphia, I love the man. But he had one of his worst days in the New Coast jersey um, Monday, Monday night football. Um, like you said, Jordan Davis, he started off really well this season. He was he looked a bit leaner. He looked a bit quicker. He, you know, his big run stuff and nose tackle, um, and his pass rush moves. He would started been a bit more complimentary but it's regressed it's, mm-hmm. it's completely regressed um 
and we're you know we're rotating guys in and out. Patrick Johnson's getting fucking reps on this I, defensive I line. I don't know where I that kept, came from. I kept seeing him on like multiple play. How many snaps did he get? I'd love to know how many snaps he got. Oh, I, don't, I, I can't. I kept remember. seeing Johnson there. Was it Fred Johnson or Patrick Johnson? Patrick. Patrick. It was Patrick Johnson. Yeah. Um, Fred Johnson's yeah. a tackle. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have no idea. I don't want to see. I keep seeing his number as well, and I was like, "What the fuck is he doing?" He's, re- he's rotating people in and out more than Desai was. He's rotating people in and out more than Desai was. I'm yeah, and I get that. Maybe keep them fresh. Fresh, for, yeah, I get for, it. For later downs, because we've been horrendous on third down. I've I said it before on the, on the podcast earlier. We're thirty second on third down in the league. It's just that can't happen. And uh, the guys just need to go home. They need to, whether or not we, we send another rusher. And you know, is we need to try something new. It's just not working. All right. So moving on to the good part of the good, the bad, and the absolute fucking shite. Um, and I want to talk about um, I want to talk about Keely Ringo, Sydney Brown, Eli Ricks, Eli Ricks, um, Mick. Why don't you take it away here? And and the overarching question I want you to think about at the end of this is when Slay comes back, are you taking Bradbury out of the starting, out of the starting team? Are you, are you going to move him to a backup role? We'll answer that now. We'll answer that last part. We'll answer it now and then we'll, and then talk <laughs> about why. Okay. Yes, I would get a Bradbury out of this <laughs> starting lineup because he's just not doing it. He's not performing. There's, I know how much money we're paying him. It doesn't matter. Just take your medicine, Sirianni, Howie, whoever. You know, we paid him a a lot of money in the offseason. It hasn't worked out. He has regressed massively. Mm -hmm. He is a hindrance to the defense. He needs to go. On the more positive side of that, Eli Ricks um, played 26 snaps uh, as outside corner. Um, So just for some context, Desai um, employed Ricks predominantly in the slot. Um, and had only previously had 29 snaps all season out wide. So he had 26 in this game alone. Before that, he had only played 29 the whole year. And that's compared to 132 snaps that he's played in the slot. So I thought Rick's did, you know, a a decent job. He was targeted three times, didn't allow a single reception. Um, He is quick. He's got a lot to learn. Yeah, he was a UDFA. So, I mean... He's, he, you can't expect him to be, you know, Sauce Gardner straight out the straight out the traps. But there's a lot of potential there. He's got the size, he's got the length, he's got the speed. Mm. Give him a shot. Just give him a shot. Even if it doesn't work out this season, he'll have experience. You'll have playoff experience, mm-hmm. and then it's it's a good, it's a it's it's a good standard to set for going into next year as him being a starting cornerback because. What do you want to do? Just put, keep on playing James Bradbury, watch him get fucking torched every single week and then, you know, decide to move on from him in the off-season. Rick's has only got, you know, a handful of snaps and then we're just pl- trying to plug him in week one next year. No, let's give him the experience now when we can afford to give it. Especially on this run that we're about to have, two, two games against the Giants, one against Arizona. They're gimme games, or they should be anyway, for the, the quality of receiver be. that they should he should be facing. So put them in. Put them in. I completely agree. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, do, do you see that happening now, though, with Slay out as well? 
<laughs> I, I, I find I find I know I, I just I find it very hard to imagine a world where Nick Sirianni and Matt Patricia don't have Slay starting also decide not to start with Bradbury. They have a long history of trusting old veteran players over younger, inexperienced players, as is evidenced yeah. by their signings every year, as it ever as is evidenced by um, their off-season moves, <clears throat> and as is as, as is evidenced by the fact that we're still we're still we still see Bradbury as a as a as a starting quarterback. I mean, it's it's madness because he was probably one of the best players that we had last year. It's it's an it's a unbelievable fall from grace in terms of ability. He's shot of confidence. He looks like he doesn't want to be there. He looks like he he can't tell what routes people are running. He's got no speed. People are just running by him. And it's it's embarrassing. It re- it's absolutely embarrassing. <clears throat> the only Talk thing he does well is take account- accountability. That's the only thing he does well is take account- you're going. It's my, that was my fault. But no shit, that was your fault. Get the yeah. fuck out of this club. I know. I know. <sighs> Keely Ringo. Yes. Yes. Keely Ringo. I thought he had a great game. Yeah, um, me too. Con- considering um, the, his first NFL start, we another Georgia Bulldog. We were quite excited about drafting him. We moved up in the draft to come and get him. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were told his hips were, you know, were, were like a bit rusty iron. But um, no, I, th- I think he had a, a decent game. Again, it kept, you know, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, JSN fairly quiet the whole game. He didn't allow a single reception while he was in coverage and he, he led the team in coverage rating per PFF. So um, commendable. Keep yes, I, I just say keep playing him because if you're, if you're going to get any positives out of this, we'll talk about Sydney Brown as well. <clears throat> he had a good game in the first half, then faded, missed a couple of tackles. Um, he moved around between free safety, box, and slot in equal measure. A good utility player, as you put in the notes here, making I do agree. I'm a little bit worried about his strength, Sydney Brown. He is rapid, but he does seem to bounce off players a little bit. When he's tackling them, yeah, um, he either absolutely annihilates them because he's going so fast that the velocity of his speed takes him down, or he see, <laughs> or he seems to like. He reminds me of like um, Sonic the Hedgehog, <clears throat> Sydney Brown. He's, he's like so much. He's so fast. He's got so much energy, but like if he's trying to bring someone down and he hasn't got a running start to it, so say if he's like running and stopped and trying to tackle players, just seem to running backs, wide receivers. You know, they seem to just be able to bully him and, and get past him, which means he misses tackles. He needs to improve his tackling, if you ask me. His speed's great. His coverage is pretty decent so far from what I've seen. Uh, he's a great utility player. In my eyes, he's not good enough to be he's not good enough to be a starter at the moment. He's got a very high ceiling. He needs to put a bit of weight on, I think, and he needs to um, bulk up a little bit, and, and he needs to get better at his tackling. Uh, he had a good game. I'm not saying he didn't, but there were far too many times where he was brushed off or completely missed because he's going so fast that he can't stop and turn. <laughs> yeah, it's like a tail of two halves movie. He plays with his hair on fire, he does. And he does. It, it, was, it was one of the things we scouted when we, we looked at him in the draft and we said, you know, he's, he's fast, he's very, very fast, but he's, he's still, he's, he is raw. He's raw. Yeah, he's raw. And a shout out to Jalen Carter. If we were going to give a Lock Loman play in a week, let's give it to Jalen Carter. Um, tackle for a loss, followed by a sack, back-to-back at a, an important moment, which got Drew locked down on one knee just before he threw the ball away. Uh, it was He got to him quick and forced his knee down quick when he got there. Jalen Carter is an absolute beast, man. And um, he did it so fast and so quick that they thought um, they thought there's no way Locke didn't get that away in time. 
However, upon review, Nick Sirianni reviewed Locke's knee was down and the sack was overturned. The incompletion was overturned to a sack. Shout out to um, to Mini Rhino, to Baby Rhino, Jalen Carter. Another incredible performance. He's still in the running for Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, if he gets a few sacks over the next couple of games, a couple of sacks and maybe some big plays, uh, it's going to be hard-pressed hard to, to, to turn around and say, he won't get it, especially with Witherspoon um, being injured at the moment for the Seahawks. He was also a front runner for the Defensive Rookie Player of the Year as well. All right, folks, we're going to do take a quick break for 60 seconds, and you'll hear from our partners, Lock Lomond. And then we've got 10 minutes. We're going to do a little bit of a quick rundown on the Giants game coming up. Talk to you in a second. Celebrate victories, rally through challenges and bond with fellow fans as you toast with a dram of Loch Lomond single malt whiskey. From tailgating gatherings to watch parties at home, Loch Lomond whiskey becomes an essential companion, enhancing the moments that make football so extraordinary. It's the perfect accompaniment, from the joy of victory to the bittersweet moments of defeat. Loch Lomond offer a wide range of malts, with their flagship perfectly balanced, and signature expressions inch moan and inch muren to suit any taste palate. Celebrate greatness on and off the field this season with a perfect balance of Loch Lomond whiskey and Eagles football. From the first pour to the crowd roar. Fly Eagles fly. I love the end of that as well because you can hear me shouting, Go Birds! Um, <laughs> that was in um, Passion Avenue, perhaps. I don't think that was in, in the US. But anyway, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. We are now going to do a little bit of a preview for the Giants game, which is starting 9.30 p.m. GMT time here in the UK. So that's a 4.30 afternoon game on Christmas Day, Eastern time, if you're listening to us in the United States. 4.30 p.m. on Christmas Day, uh, ooh, that's that's uh, dicing with dinner time, isn't it, Mick? Um, I know I know Christmas dinners tend to be a bit earlier than Sunday dinners, around 2 o'clock, something like that. Well, what time is Christmas dinner in your household? Yeah, my, my Christmas dinner was around about that time, about 4, 4.30, okay. something like that. I don't have it too, not too early. I, I like to get up on Christmas morning and just relax a bit and you know take my yeah. time with things. I, I don't do the whole, like... The, like getting all the family around and or going around the houses and all that sort of thing. No, Christmas Day is just for me, my wife, my two kids, and oh, that's, that's nice. it. I don't want to see anybody else because. Do it's you different. see anyone on Boxing Day? Yeah, yeah. Usually, you get family. Um, see family on Boxing Day, and that's fine, you know. Um, but it's just Christmas Day for us. Um, Got a special and, and... whiskey you're knocking out in the evening to toast the birds game on Christmas Day. Yeah, well, uh, I got I got sent a lovely Christmas gift from our partners at Loch Lomond. We got a, a nice Ben Lomond gin. We got um, uh, Inchmuren as well, yeah. and I bought a I bought a fizz uh, to go along. Yeah. So that'll be that'll be nice for Christmas. Uh, unfortunately, my wife can't drink because she's pregnant. So I know, I know. So it'll, it'll just be me. Not long, right? What are we talking not long, now? not long, only a few weeks now. So um, end of January, but uh, I think she'll go early. So it could only be maybe a matter of four, four weeks or something. It, and, and I know you were going to ask, but Liam, Liam McGivern is is fine. If if you really do want to name 
um your child Liam McGiven that's, that's oh, I was I was gonna ask yeah yeah uh, just just yeah don't don't worry about it uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right good stuff looking forward to the Giants game the Giants are not a good football team they have not been a good football team for quite a while now they are five and nine although they have won three of the last four games with new QB New Yorker style Tommy DeVito as quarterback, I'm sure most of you looking in have seen the memes and the pictures of him and his agent. His agent looks like Inspector Gadget. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Inspector Gadget, like, um, switched with some kind of, I don't know, Sopranos um, gig going on there. Um, he's played pretty well so far, if not steady, Tommy DeVito. But anyway, going back to the record, they are 5-9, and nine, one game ahead of the Commanders in the battle for third place in the NFC East that that vicious battle that's going to rage for many a year to come, we hope. Um, well, <laughs> um, they've lost losses so oh, far. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, we've losses to the Saints, twice to the Cowboys. Actually, I'm just going to hold this back a second. Right? So they've lost to the Saints, the Raiders, and the Jets, what I would call medium to poor teams. Yeah, I mean, I think Raiders and Saints are around 500, right? Jets are, are less than. Their other losses have been twice to the Cowboys, once to the Bills, once to the Dolphins, once to the 49ers, and to the Seahawks team who just beat us. That, they haven't had an easy schedule. And now they're about to come up against the Eagles twice. So although they are a pretty woefully talented roster, they have played some some pretty tough competition so far this year. So we don't expect it to be as much as a rollover as, as you would expect. Although I will say those losses were pretty hefty. 49-17 to the Dallas Cowboys, 31-16 to Miami, 24-3 to Seattle, 30-12 to San Francisco. So you would hope that the Eagles would put up similar numbers against the Giants. Looking at them positionally, Mick talked about Tommy DeVito there a second. He's got a 91 QBR rating this year so far. But key is he only has eight passing touchdowns in the seven games he's played. So he's only averaging one passing touchdown a game. Um, he's only averaging 27 yards on the ground in terms of rushing. So it, he's he's relatively accurate, but he's, he's not setting the world on light and he's certainly not going to be the franchise quarterback of the future. I don't think anyone is, 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 is thinking that. Um, but key, key to why he's not really much of a threat is probably more to do with his receiving core options. I mean, it's like the Adams family. I, it does, there's no one there I'm worried about. You can make an argument for Darren Waller. He's he's had good seasons at tight end, and he has big playability, no doubt. But outside of Waller, you're looking at Darius Slayton. You're looking at Wendell Robinson. You're looking at Jalen Wyatt, uh, Hyatt. You're looking at Isaiah Hodgins, Paris Campbell, Daniel Bellinger. I mean, pff, you know, you're better off throwing the ball to Saquon Barkley um, in the backfield or, or, or let him be a wide receiver than you are any of those guys. So really not a lot for um, not a lot for Tommy DeVito to be throwing at. Um, add in to that, Mick, <clears throat> their offensive line, I won't read the words that are on the page here because it's quite vulgar, are very bad, I'll say instead. <laughs> Across the board, their offensive line, so for, apart from their left tackle, who is ranked 17th in the league, their, their center and both guards and right tackle are ranked 70 or higher in terms of their positional ratings in the, in the NFL, which means that there are two there are two lots of people, two two leagues worth of of right guards or left guards uh, better than than what they are. So, so the backups for all these teams 
are better than their starting caliber, caliber players. That's how poor the offensive line is. Let's take that one step further, Mick. They've allowed 76 Ooh. sacks so far this season. 76? 76. 76 sacks. Oh, my that God. That is 5.5 sacks per game, which is by far the most in the league. And here's a pop quiz question for you, Mick. Which team holds the record for the most sacks in the NFL? Oh, well. Go on then, Liam. Philadelphia Eagles. In oh. 19... <laughs> in, in 1986 or 87. Um, let me just pull up my, my stats here. In 1986, the Eagles played 16 games and they got sacked 104 times, which is, around, which is around 6.5 sacks per game. Um, second on that list is the Cardinals of 97 with 78. So we comfortably hold the record for most sacks. Now, if the Eagles put 10 sacks up against the Giants on Christmas, that would lead the Giants on 86 with an average of six sacks per game for their final three games to break the Eagles' record of 104. So, you know... Something to cheer for on on, on Christmas evening. Um, exactly. I mean, so so Mick talking about the Eagles' losses earlier on today, and reading off those. Apart from Saquon Barkley, who is still averaging ninety total yards per game, which is quite impressive behind that offensive line. Mm. Certainly back to his best, I think Barkley when he's been given the opportunity. But that aside, and everything else I've just talked about in terms of their wide receiver quarter quarterback and their offensive line being historically bad. Surely the Eagles are going to score more points than this team on Christmas Day. You would hope so, Liam. You would hope so. The the Giants have only scored over 20 points twice this season. Twice. Over 20 points. Twice. That's Unbelievable. That was the win in Arizona and the win in Green Bay last week. And that's it. No other time have they scored over 20 points. So, it's because they're so devoid of talent. They're devoid of talent. Defensive line. Quarterback, offensive weapons. You've already went through it all. Mm-hmm. The Eagles, if, if if somehow the Giants roll over the Eagles offensively or like on the Eagles defense, we know how bad this Eagles defense is. We've just spent the last hour digging them out, <laughs> chewing them out for it. But if they allow more than 20 points against this Giants team, it's a fucking travesty because the, the Giants are just so bad and it's so obvious as we're looking at they're just the the, the rankings and on 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 offense 31st yeah. in total offense 31st in points per game 31st on third down offense 30th on red zone offense 32nd on pass offense the giants are terrible Dreadful. terrible this defense better have that dog in them this week get the pass rush home against that terrible offensive line of the giants and let's, you know, we are so overdue. And I feel like I say this every single week. We are overdue to give someone an absolute doing. Yeah. In it. And I, I hope it's the Giants. I hope we just beat them up, beat them the hell up, try and get about a feel good around Philadelphia again, because just now things are just not looking good for us at all. And we need it. We need it. We need, we need that sort of, you know, this is what they do in college football, is where they get the big programs and they line up uh, a cupcake game against like a, a, a Power Five team or, you know, it's a not a power five team, a group of five team. Um, just a, a cupcake game to get the get the spirits up, just run up, run up a massive score. 
that's what this game needs to be for the Philadelphia Eagles. Get the get the juggernaut. You get know, into a rhythm. Going, get into a rhythm. Get it going again. Get the offense going again. Make the defense feel good about themselves and not letting up X amount of yards or you know X amount of touchdowns and getting torched left, right, and center. Um, and take that into Arizona the following week, then the Giants, and that will give us a bit of momentum going into the playoffs and maybe a bit more hope and belief because we, we don't have it just now, but it could be a Christmas miracle um, that we put over 40 points on a team. That would be nice. That would be amazing. <laughs> what happens if the Eagles lose this game, Mick? Honestly, Liam, if if we lose this game, it's, it's, it's over. It's, it's just over. The season's over for me, even though we're guaranteed playoff football, but the season's over. I agree. This game. The Eagles can't beat the Giants this week. Um, I, I, there is zero chance. Eagles win the next three games or two of the next three games because they rest some players if, if they do on the final game. Then I think the Eagles still have a chance to turn it around and and go on a run. You know, who knows? Playoff football, anything can happen. Um, they can get back to their early season form. Uh, we beat the Cowboys earlier in the season. We beat the 49ers last year. Uh, they can turn stuff around with a bit of confidence, a bit of momentum, some key players coming back from injury. You know, who knows? You know, if the Eagles get if the Eagles can get past the Cowboys or the 49ers in the playoffs, then they've got as good a chance of beating any of the AFC teams, in my opinion. Um, the, the, the test is getting past the 49ers or, or Dallas, depending on where they land in the playoffs. Um, but if the Eagles lose the next game, that's it. I'm, I mean... There's no more staying up late nights. <laughs> Maybe for the playoff game, but but not for the not for the last two. I don't know what time they're at, but um, they have to win this game. Just a little touch on the uh, defense for the Giants. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau has had a much better season, much more like where he was drafted um, two seasons ago. He has 11 and a half sacks this year so far. Not only that, he has three passes defended and also three forced fumbles. Throw in the mix, they've got Dexter Lawrence, who has no pushover at D-tackle, even though he is aging a little bit now. Um, they've also got Bobby Okereke, <laughs> I hope I said that right, um, linebacker. He has four forced fumbles and a whopping 122 tackles for the Giants this year so far, which is crazy. That must be right up there with the leading tacklers. No, we're league. not a fumbling team, are we? Well, this is what I'm saying, right? So you, no, no, just, no you're just, it up for us to I've, lose now. I, I've just quoted Kayvon Thibodeau and um, Bobby Okereke, um, as between them having seven forced fumbles, just the two of them, they forced seven forced fumbles. So the Eagles are going to need to keep an eye on the ball on the first level and when they get to the second level um, as well. So something that the Eagles are going to need to watch out for. Uh, their secondary isn't terrible. Uh, Deontay Banks has had a great rookie season um, at cornerback. He was picked up number 24 in the draft this year. He has 60 tackles, 11 pass breakups, and two interceptions. Throw in, they've got Adoree Jackson, safeties, Pinnock, and McKinney. Um, their secondary isn't terrible. Um, they only account for seven interceptions between them, one touchdown and 30 pass breakups. They're not nothing to like, you know, bring the house down, uh, but their their defense is certainly far, far better than their offense. So um, the Eagles offensive line needs to be stout. Their ball security needs to be stout and they need to stop throwing um, Hail Marys to double and triple coverage wide receivers. They do those three, three things. The Eagles put up 30-40 on the Giants, no problem whatsoever. They don't do those things. Christmas could be cancelled. Predictions, Mick. Score. <clears throat> oh, score prediction. Um, 
yeah, I'm I'm going I'm going to side with the positive. We've been we've been fairly negative this whole podcast, deservedly so. I will put it out there. You have to give the team shit when they're when they're playing shit. It's just mm-hmm. that's what it is. Um, don't bury your head in the sand if you're listening. Just you know, take it for what it is. Um, we've had the good times. Now you've just got to live with the bad times. Um, but that said, this is this is the get right game. I'm going to say maybe not not quite forty, but we'll go for thirty eight. 12. 38-12, big win. Um, I think Eagles are going to do much better uh, this week. I think there is no excuses now. We line up really well against the Giants. However, their defense is good, and I don't think the Eagles are going to solve all their problems in one week. So I'm going to go for a closer game. I think it's going to be 27-19 to 19 for the Eagles. Don't know how to get 19 points, though. I'll have to figure out how that works. What's how, many, that? how many touchdowns is Boston Scott again? Boston Scott? Boston Scott's just—he's just going to get one touchdown, but he's going to have a couple of big runs. <laughs> Definitely, I want to see how many outside the boxes have Boston Scott in there. Boston um, Scott is coming to town. All right, folks, thanks for listening in and persevering with us. If you are still with us, we are a very positive Eagles podcast, but it would be remiss of us not to dig them out when they deserve it. The Eagles have lost three on the bounce, and this game against the Giants on Christmas Day is a pivotal moment in the season. The Eagles win. They can start blowing off some of these cobwebs and build momentum and confidence as they go into the playoff run. The Eagles lose. Christmas is cancelled. And the people are just going to start turning on the 76ers and the Flyers, both of who are doing well this year. Thanks for listening in. We hope you all have an incredible Christmas and festive period, whatever you're celebrating this holiday season. Have a good time with your family. Take some rest and respite from work. Hug your loved ones. And go birds, baby. See you, Mick.